0: Welcome to the Psych and Business podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I'm really excited today because I have another great business leader and consultant for you who has an expertise in technology. And if you know me, you know I love technology. Her name is Dr. Liz Swigart. Dr. Swigart has over 20 years of experience in strategy, operations, and people, Drawing on her wealth of expertise gained from working with startups to Fortune 500 companies across various sectors, Liz offers unique insights into strategic planning and risk management as an independent advisor and board member. She is a recognized expert in the intersection between the emerging technologies of Web3, such as blockchain and digital assets, and social organizational psychology. And I hope we can get her to talk a little bit about that. Liz, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Ernest.
0: Liz, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on the show because you are uh, one of the people that I I enjoy because of your love for technology. And so I really want to dive into that. But I I always want to start by asking about your journey because you have such an interesting journey working with startups, veterans, financial, being a financial executive, investment banker. I mean, there's just so much in there. Just uh, tell us about your journey and walk us through your experiences.
1: Well, the key word for my journey is curiosity. Mm. We, uh, we actually talked about that in the pre-show. Um, following, following your curiosity. So I live in Houston, Texas, but I don't sound like it because I grew up in New York City. Mm. So uh, yes, Upper West Side Girl. I moved to Houston to go to Rice University. And uh, we have a saying around these parts that owls don't leave the nest. So here I am after uh, more years than I would like to admit since graduation. And I have just been someone who has followed my curiosity, and I found that if I if I follow my interest and I tug on those threads, uh, something something amazing always happens. Mm-hmm. Um, the universe has presented some incredible opportunities to me uh, through just serendipity. So I I went to uh, university thinking I was going to go to law school. Uh, that's the family business. I was uh you know I was going to go be a lawyer like my dad. And um, yeah, that plan changed. I've, I've also realized that most of my grand plans change and they always seem to change for the better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't go to law school. I, I ended up in my first job in international tax of all things um, at Arthur Anderson, uh, right before Anderson collapsed under the weight of the Enron scandal. Mm-hmm. I then, um, again, serendipity, I became a nonprofit finance executive. I found myself back in public accounting after that. Uh, I I found myself as an investment banker. Uh, I was back in public accounting again. I've owned my own consulting firm. I've been a partner in the big four. And then most recently, in the last few years, I had the opportunity to really follow my curiosity into tech, first in an ed tech startup, leading product and strategy, and now working independently Uh, as an advisor, as a a board director, uh, primarily with companies on what we would call the bleeding edge of tech. And all along there, um, I managed to pick up an MBA in operations and supply chain management. Um, And then I I followed a passion that was ignited during my MBA um, for organizational and social psychology. I took my first psychology course as uh, part of my MBA. And um, the professor was incredibly inspiring. Um, you, he may have even been on the podcast. Uh, you may even know him, Dr. John Reed. Yes, and, yeah, um, we had John
0: on the show. Yeah, great, great guy. Uh,
1: yes, I, I, in large part, I owe my career to Dr. Reed. Um, it was his inspiration as part of the course that I took in in my MBA, um, and then just his mentorship and friendship afterwards. Um, to this day. And um, that was what propelled me ultimately. I mean, it took me another, you know, 10, almost 15 years to go do mm-hmm. it. Um, but that's that's really what sent me on the path to get my PhD in organizational leadership psychology and just weave these threads together. So I spent a lot of time tugging on threads and then a lot of time weaving them together. And what I found is that at the center of all of it is people. Mm-hmm. And you said that as part of my introduction. Yeah. Um, but. Technology is built by people. People innovate. People build tech and they build the tech to serve people. Mm-hmm. And so people are are at the heart of everything that we do. They're at the heart of everything that we make and create and innovate. And there um there's no one in the building who understands how to center humans um, better than those who who spend their time studying the behavior of humans. Yeah. And so um, the natural relationship between psychology, particularly when you think about people in groups and organizations, so social and organizational psychology, the relationship between that and technology, um, it is it is peas and carrots, mm-hmm. as they would say. Mm-hmm. So it it's a very it, it's a very natural fit, and one that. Uh, people often find surprising. Yeah, But to me, it comes back to uh, the human-centered nature of both. And psychology is about understanding people so that we can help people to be better people. Mm-hmm. And psychology and technology is about... Creating and innovating ways to empower people to do that which they didn't necessarily believe was possible before, Mm -hmm. and that's what technology has given us. uh, Whether that technology is the wheel or it's Web three,
0: yeah, I I I love uh, what you're saying there. I, I love your experiences. You have such a such an interesting and eclectic variety of experiences. Uh, and I always say that's such a, such a value that people bring to bear in the work that they do, and just in their personal life. So I love hearing about your experiences. I, I want to dive deep into technology because that's my jam, right? So so let's talk a little bit about that intersection of of technology and people, because I think you have the advantage of having this 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 great interest and in, in experience working with different startups and technology firms, but also have the advantage of having the training and 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 experience and expertise working with people in and, and, and social psychology and organizational psychology. Talk to us about how you use those now in the work that you do and how you see them working well together.
1: Well, maybe the best way to do that, um, and I, I am a teacher as well. I, I, I have a faculty at um, the Chicago school. So I often find that with my students, the best way to do it is a case study. Mm-hmm. Let's just do a live example. So I had the opportunity to work with a new company in the blockchain space um, starting starting early last year. And I give a ton of credit to the CEO. He is young and visionary and energetic. And he recognized that community is a critical part of success Mm -hmm. in Web3. Um, And when I talk about Web3, Uh, shorthand for where the internet is going now. So Web 1 was basically the military created the internet, um, the government. Uh, Web 2 was corporations got in on the deal. (laughs) And now Web 3 is peer to peer. Mm -hmm. It's figuring out how we take advantage of all of this distributed computing power that we have. Um, The example I cite most frequently is my washing machine that likes to text me when it's done with a cycle, (laughs) um, as well as sing a little song. Um, But my washing machine has an incredible amount of computing power. In fact, in 1969, it might even have been able to put a man on the moon. So when we think about how much computing power is idle, frankly, and could be tapped into, and then what if we connected all of that? And then what if we gave people a way to like monetize their idle computing power? What would that do in terms of restoring control to people over their data, providing greater access, um, creating more opportunity, uh, supporting entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the opportunities are incredible. So when, when we think about Web3, um, one of the things that's most important because it's largely driven by open source software mm. um, and it's, dis- it's distributed, it's peer-to-peer, that means community is a huge part of mm. it. It means you need to build a community around your brand, around your product. And frankly, that's been true in Web2. That's frankly true in the analog world. Um, communities, communities raise up brands. And so I credit the CEO for recognizing very early on that he needed to get a pulse on the community that was growing up around this, this new brand, around this new company, and understand you know, who are these folks? Because in the Web3 world, community grows largely on social media platforms, whether that is X, formerly known as Twitter, um, it's in a Discord server that's telegram that's that's where the communities are growing mm-hmm. up and so whereas before you might be able to you know go and see people in person in this case you're looking at virtual communities people are all remote oftentimes they don't even use their real name you only know someone through their screen name and they have an opportunity to represent themselves through an avatar that may in no way resemble uh, what they what they appear to be in person
0: so this is really this is really interesting because what you're saying out here is that to advance the technology right you really need to understand and appreciate the community of people that are the bedrock of that technology and so you can't it's not just about the new technology it's about the people as well the communities that are being built the relationships the cultures all of those things that underlie the technology in order to really understand how you can best leverage that technology and what that technology might be shaped into. Am I hearing that right?
1: You, you are spot on. And so when, when I think about what this opportunity was, the, the CEO said, I need to understand this community. And in particular, here are the things I need to understand. I need to understand who they mm-hmm. are. I need to understand what's important to them. And I need to understand how they want to work and what they need to be most successful. That's culture, and that's values. Mm -hmm. And when we think about traditional organizations, we think of mission statements and vision statements, and well, what's the company culture? The same is true in this bleeding edge of technology. The same is true in Web3. In fact, I might even argue that it's even more important because you don't have people co-located with one another. When we, you know, thinking back to our kind of social psych theory, like, well, what are the things that create affinity bonds between people? Well, proximity is a
0: big one. You can't rely on some of those natural environmental cues that you used to have before.
1: Exactly. So the CEO uh, and I had a conversation about how, how can we go about learning the emerging culture and values of this community. And I said, well, you know, psychology gives us some wonderful methodologies that we can use. Um, And in particular, uh, there's this whole area known as participative inquiry, Mm -hmm. right? So we've got phenomenology, we've got ethnography, narrative, case study, grounded theory, participative inquiry. And within participative inquiry, right, we can thank Kurt Lewin for action research, which is great but problem focused. It's all about we've got an issue and we're going to iterate on it till we solve it. Starting from the lens, starting where you're looking through the lens of we have a problem, isn't the framing that we wanted. Instead, we wanted a framing that was what's the best of us? Mm -hmm. What, What, who are we at our best? Who do we aspire to be when we're firing on all cylinders? That gets you to appreciative inquiry. So I said, how about we do this? How about we try to uh, do an appreciative inquiry in a completely distributed, completely virtual first, (laughs) no in-person interaction. Let's do an appreciative inquiry. Let's find out what this community believes it looks like at its best. What is its positive core? And one of the reasons that stood out to me is because Web3 generally um, has a host of negative stereotypes associated yeah. with it. Whether it is the crypto bros, uh, whether it is financial scandals that are plastered across the news, um, it, it's it's seen as sort of this this meme wasteland, and there's not a necessarily an understanding or appreciation of how it apl- how it could apply in the mainstream, um, or that there could be space. Within Web three, for people who consider themselves more traditional users of technology, uh, where do I fit? Mm-hmm. And what I loved about starting with appreciative inquiry and and the first step in a, in appreciative inquiry, mapping the positive core, is that it comes at things from an incredibly optimistic, positive perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're getting it that says, individual yeah, feedback we as well from from each of the individual yes. members of the community.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and so. Um, I worked with our community manager, the the company's community manager, who I knew only by his screen name. <laughs> we were only able to communicate um, over text message uh, because my um, my first language and his first language are not the same. Um, and and uh, his his English is a lot better uh, than than my speaking and writing of his native language. And so we work together to figure out an appropriate survey instrument. Okay, what kinds of questionnaires can we put out there? How can we incentivize people to participate? How do we do this ethically? Now, we know that um, in order to join the community, you have to indicate that you're over the age of 18, and there are certain... There are certain parameters within the system that control who's able to access it, but we really wanted to make sure that people understood, were informed. And, and we're, we're truly actively consenting to engaging in this because this is, this is a form of research.
0: So this is this a so really interesting approach be because what, what you're describing here is, is really nuanced and, and pretty complex because you're not just attending to uh, different people in the U.S. You're speaking about internationally, right? So it's not just social norms that we would consider to be normal in the U.S., but you have to have that international lens and think about different cultures and what is appropriate. And so it becomes a very complex of situation here.
1: It does. And then take it a step further. I'm concerned about, well, is there, is there anyone who's potentially vulnerable mm. um, who we would be engaging with in doing this mm-hmm. work? And it's, it's known and, and well documented that there are many people in the technology industry arena, um, particularly in software development and coding who are neuroatypical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for people who are neurodiverse, we wanna make sure that we're being sensitive and thoughtful about what we're communicating, what we're asking, how we're asking it, and be thinking about how do we engage people where they are in a way that that is uh, not dominated by one particular culture, yes. right? This didn't need to be Captain America, as you just pointed yes. out. When When also thinking about Web three, um, as i was as I was studying the literature, I came across several articles that piqued my interest when it comes to understanding the participants um, in in the the research and the studies and the work that we do. Um, oftentimes in our journal publications, there is, there, there is a, a great desire to have detailed demographic information. And I understand why. I mean it's it's completely understandable that we are sitting on a a bedrock of literature that has over indexed for years um, on straight white men and when we get into the realm of web 3 a lot of the research looked at how the ability to represent oneself through an avatar Mm -hmm. and a screen name um, allowed people to present an online picture of themselves that better reflected who they know themselves to be, mm-hmm. more so than they might be able to in person in their communities. And this is particularly true for the GLBTQIA community.
0: So this, so this presents, very true provides the, the avatar as almost as a psychological outlet even for them to be able to express exactly. themselves that way.
1: Exactly. So in a place where it may not be safe mm-hmm. for someone to present themselves as their true and authentic self because they are trans, mm-hmm. the online environment allows that. And particularly one um, in, in Web3, which is much more focused on peer-to-peer mm-hmm the decentralization, which also gives people a sense that their data is not going to one central service that could turn it over to say, a hostile government or law enforcement, um, or make it public in a way that could put them in jeopardy. And so it emerged that we have this richness within this community. Um, We already could see just in the Discord server, I mean, Something like forty-seven plus languages represented, wow. so many different countries, nationalities, um, and it was it was a mixture of ages. Some people chose to self-identify, mm-hmm. but again, we don't have a way to to validate Perfect. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a question of how are we how are we looking to to group people are we looking to give them boxes to check or are we looking for them to tell us who they mm-hmm. are so it was it was a really incredible exercise to go through and then to to put out these questionnaires in into the ether yeah. into cyberspace and i was blown away by the responses i really didn't expect that this online community um, of primarily developers and designers and artists and some entrepreneurs, that they would spend time with twenty five different questions that respond that required text responses,
0: but they did. But I think what you're what you're keying in there is on an underlying uh, fundamental aspect of community, right? I think as as a function of community, there's just a, a general pool of trust that is extended and taken by by members of the community because if they didn't trust you and and the, the you know the, the the authors of the of the questionnaire there's no way there's no way that they would have taken it so so you have this underlying pool of trust which is, is generated by the community you know in in the work that they do and, and the and the trust that they put in you, right?
1: Yes and trust is a transactional concept. Trust is what makes up the difference between what I have seen you do before mm-hmm. and what you are promising to do now. When, when people simply engage from the outset, it strikes me that it may be more to do with relating. Relating involves empathy. Um, it, it involves um, points of commonality. Mm-hmm. Um, it involves an extension or a measure of grace, you can make a mistake and come back Mm -hmm. from it. So I think that there's this interesting alchemy in these communities because you have a lot of people who are there uh, because it isn't the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of underdogs. It's it's a lot of people who don't always feel like they fit. So what I loved about engaging with this community and seeing their engagement was that this gave them an opportunity to have their voice heard Mm -hmm. And when it often feels like the internet is very corporatized, it's driven by algorithms, um, our data does not feel like it is our own. When people feel that their voice matters, that they have a voice, man, they use it. So what came back was incredibly refreshing to me and inspiring and surprising. Uh, One of the questions asked was, what does what does this community do at its best? And several of the responses were um ask questions like these. Oh wow. And wow. I was, I mean, I was blown away because it was an example to me of how people want to engage. Yeah. And the answers were very meaningful. What was particularly interesting to me were when I got into questions that were asking about what skills. The community members felt were most important to be successful, Mm -hmm. both technically and interpersonally. And about 50% of the answers to the question, what's the most important technical skill to be successful, Mm -hmm. were actually in interpersonal skills. Communication, problem solving, open-mindedness. It came down to growth mindset, coaching, relationships, communication people
0: right it's people people yeah.
1: it's all people yes uh soylent green is people it's all, it's all people. people
0: this is why i love this it's show because it doesn't matter what your business is it doesn't matter what you do it, it's people if you if you have a business you are working with people or you are you're doing something for people it's people at the mm-hmm. core always
1: always and so what what i love about the project that i did and i'm i'm working very still working very closely with this company is just how really human-centered it mm-hmm. is which is mm-hmm. astonishing to think about in a highly technical highly technical area i mean we're, we're talking about making technology to build the next kind of technology yeah. i mean it's it it is um it's exciting because you really are at the frontier yeah. And you're also dealing with most age old things imaginable people and their feelings, people,
0: right? I mean, when you talk people, about a people, community, people. you're talking about conflict, you're talking about communication, and you're talking about active listening. I mean, there's just all the things that we've done since the beginning of time, all the things that are needed when you're working with people. It doesn't matter if you're working with technology or not. And then we're talking about how you leverage that to enhance technology, you know, to create new technologies. And I, I love hearing about how, you gave these this community an opportunity to for the individuals to speak out, right? You still, even though it's a community, it was still an opportunity for them to be very individual and provide their individuality, right? You still value that, even though it's a community.
1: And I think that is such an important element of Web three, right? Mm-hmm. Web three gives people it's it's empowering. Yeah. I mean, anybody can get out and build. Um, it it is. It really breaks down so many barriers mm-hmm. uh, that exist in the in the technical world. So what I what I really appreciated as well, and I think you you just you just said it without saying it, um, is also how beautiful a home it makes for psychology and business. Yeah. Because again, it is all people. and we are the people people. Yes. We know people. We We know people. We know human behavior. (laughs)
0: We are the people. We know human behavior. We are the people. Absolutely, you've described it so well.
1: And what I I love about this is that um, there is so much space, room, opportunity, need for psychology, both both as scholar and practitioner, Mm -hmm. in this space, because we are all constantly learning. And we're constantly practicing (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the opportunity really to engage and take our, our age old theories. I mean, there, there truly is nothing new under the sun, but when I, I mean, day to day working with a company, engaging with the community online, now getting to go to events and meeting members of the community in person. Mm -hmm. Um, and really seeing how the things that, that we study and we learn about, and then we, we put into practice, how incredibly applicable they are. And I, I think about this um, frequently, um, especially in a software development space. There's this this brilliant and, and beautiful uh, theory that I, I just I have several pet theories, as my students will tell you. Um, one of them is is the concept of felt understanding because it's so meta, mm-hmm. literally. Um, as, as the psychologists know, felt understanding is my perception of your perception of me. Mm-hmm. It's what I think you think, you think, me. think yeah. about yep. me and how that influences my behavior towards mm-hmm. you.
0: Completely and, unconfirmed, right? Just, just what I think, you think oh, about no. me, and I'm going to respond to that. Uh, my own thinking of what you might be thinking of me.
1: Exactly, and because it's my perception, it is my reality. Mm-hmm. So I have projected it onto you, whether or not it has any any truth for you. You're like, no, I actually, I I, I never thought that. And I'm like, oh no, you did, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I am I am so convinced over here, right? Because my own little yep, narrative's yep. going. I'm like. Oh my gosh, he thinks yep. this, and then you perseverate At on it point, over
0: and over till it becomes, like you said, like your re- that's that's your reality.
1: It is my reality. Mm-hmm. And then when you don't do that thing, I'm like, but here's the script. Mm-hmm. So when when we're we're in in um, you know startups in particular, and you have a really small team, mm-hmm. and you've got it's astonishing how quickly like factions will will. Um, form how quickly people all of a sudden build up these huge narratives about what this other person thinks and what they would do if they Mm -hmm. knew and it's like actually um number one they don't care because they're really too busy thinking about themselves um and and two you made that all up in your head maybe try asking and so there's there's so many opportunities for us as psychologists to bring what we see in brick and mortar organizations mm-hmm. to see to bring what we see every day um, and what we know from our from our education yep. uh, into these spaces that seem um, so high tech and cutting edge yep. and as we've said this whole conversation are really just, really just people they're just people with cooler tools and newer toys is
0: what you are talking about now is we're talking about team dynamics right and and and, and group functioning and, and We just, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to have you come back because we've just barely scratched the surface. So uh, how do people contact you if they want to, you know, continue the conversation with you or or get your services? What's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: The best way to find me is the good old Web2 solution, LinkedIn. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. I'm easily contactable through LinkedIn. Um, and you can you can follow my circuitous, nonlinear career journey um, <laughs> from my LinkedIn page. So it's a great place to find a me. very
0: interesting journey. It is, I think so. Liz, I always want to take advantage of the experts that we have on the show and ask, what's a tip uh, that you have? Or some advice that you have for for businesses, organization leaders, especially in this time of age that we're in right now.
1: Ooh, all right. Well, I'm I'm always I'm always chock full of advice, and as this advice is free, it's worth exactly what y'all are paying for it. <laughs> um, the first thing the the first thing I would say is, oh my goodness, just ask. I see a lot of business leaders. In fact, I I've been on I was on a call as recently as a few hours ago. Um, where people were trying to figure out, well, but you know, how's the market going to react to this? How are our, how's our community? How's our stakeholders going to react to this? I'm like, well, we could just ask no. them. You, you you can just ask. Mm. So uh, we have this. We we oftentimes will hang on to things under the belief that if we just worked on them a little bit harder, they'd be like super perfect, mm. and then we can release it out into the wild. Um, ask ask for feedback. Ask for insight. Ask for help. People want to help. Give them an opportunity. It's a gift. But yes, ask. You don't have to know everything. And not only knowing what to ask, that's good. But oh my goodness, just making the effort to ask. You know, so uh, point number one, uh, free advice number one, ask.
0: That's so interesting uh, how advice- you circle back to what, what the group, the community said, right? Communication, right? Communicate. Mm-hmm. I think that, again, one of the foundational things of of an organization of relationships, it's communication, right? I think, and I, that's such great advice. Asking your audience, asking your 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 coworkers, asking your community, get that feedback because feedback, as as we say in my in my previous organization, feedback is a gift, right? It's a gift from which you can learn so much about yourself and what you're doing and how you're being perceived, right?
1: Um, and and the, the second piece of advice um, is, is one that, that I, I share frequently, um, which is embrace being seen trying.
0: Okay? Say more about that one.
1: In the, in the open source world, so when you talk about think about open source software, um, it's an incredibly courageous thing to do. You write your code and then you just put it out yeah. there. And people are going to find all sorts of problems with it. Some folks are going to fork it and go make it better. Um, and it, it is it is something where everything you do, your successes, um, the 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 events, the events where you fail, it's all public. Mm-hmm. And it is a remarkable act of courage to be seen trying in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is also incredibly liberating because it goes back to what I just mentioned, ask, you know, that's, that's, that's what trying in public is. It's asking for help. It's asking for support. And that's what builds a community around you. People get to see you trying and it's inspiring because when you see someone trying, you think maybe I can try too.
0: Yeah. I mean that, that that's so leaders. highlight try in public of the open source community. Right. I think the, Mm -hmm. the, 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 how brave you have to be to, to put something out there, knowing that somebody might, might pick it apart or, or find errors in there. I think that, that there's, there's a whole psychology that goes along with that as well. And that'd be just interesting to dive through mm-hmm. in another show. Uh, Liz, <laughs> And that's
1: leadership, though. But that's le- that is leadership. Yeah. Leaders, to be successful, let your people see you try.
0: And fail. I mean, I think you, you, you highlight that failure try, is not the fail, end, right?
1: Try, succeed. Yeah. Failure failure and success are events. They're not identities. It doesn't make you mm-hmm. it do, it doesn't make you either one of those yeah. things. It makes you brave.
0: That is that is Try such great advice. Public. And I think that's 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 a great place to to end it. This has been this has been so much fun, Liz. I, I love talking about technology and it's been such a great uh, time hearing about your experiences and hearing about the work that you're doing in technology. We're absolutely gonna have to have you come back because we just I know we just barely scratched the surface and, and I and I want you to come back and talk a little bit more about different technologies that you've worked with and are involved with to help our audience also understand, you know, these technologies and how as humans, you know, as, as people who who have um, who are influenced by our behavior and how that impacts our technology and how the technology impacts us, you know, that that circle of life between us and technology. Talk more about that. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Liz. It's been so fantastic.
1: Oh, Ernest, thank you so much for having me. And thanks to your listeners for coming along on the ride. Awesome.
0: And to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed this and I hope you will join us for next time.